Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 27. We've been uh, looking at the seven last sayings of Christ from the cross. The first being, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the second one said to the repentant thief, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And the third one was, a Woman, behold thy son, and then behold thy mother. And today we're going to look at the fourth saying of Christ from the cross. And we'll read from verse 27 of chapter 27 down to verse uh, 46. Matthew 27 and 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered to him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocking him, saying, Hell, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. That was to, that was to deaden his senses, and he wasn't going to have that. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. There were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and builds it again in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. And from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried, with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And here in this verse 46, uh, we find the fourth uh, saying of Christ from the cross. 
Back in the 1970s, about the middle, the middle uh, 74, 75, 76, long in through there, I uh, was attending uh, Independent Baptist College in uh, Dallas, Texas. It was my second year, and there was a man that was uh, older uh, that had come from India, left his family in India, and came to the college, uh, being recommended by a, a missionary to come to the college, to come and to uh, uh, learn the Bible so he could go back. And he's still a missionary in India uh, today, out of a church in Texas. But uh, they put him with me because I'd already been through a four-year college. I was a little older. Uh, they didn't think that the young punks could <laughs> treat the old man right, I guess. But anyway, uh, he was in my dorm room. And at college, they would have a chapel service in the middle of the morning. And all the students would go to that. And so uh, we go into the chapel service the first day that that we that he'd been there, we went in there together. I sat by him, and uh, I noticed that he took his shoes off, and I just figured, you know, uh, his feet were being pinched. Uh, a lot of, like in India, they wear sandals. If you read stories by Sherlock Holmes, he'll, he'll, he says, you know, if, if you're tracking somebody and his feet are spread apart and his toes are spread apart, then that's a sign that he's, it comes from a warm climate where they don't wear shoes. And only we have a, well, I thought, well, he's, you know, he wants to give his feet a rest. And uh, he looked over at me and he said, uh, aren't you going to remove your shoes? And I thought, what? You know, I don't even know what kind of socks I put on this morning. <laughs> and being a bachelor, a lot of socks had holes in them. You know, you learn to pull them out and tip, tip them under, and, and you can still manage for a while. And I said, no, I'm not, what? I'm not taking my shoes off. I, you know, stinky feet and all that passed my mind. And he said, well, in India, when we go into, the, into worship the Lord, we remove our shoes because it's holy ground. And uh, that uh, got my attention as we approach worship even this morning. But today, as we come to this passage, it might do us well if we would remove our shoes and, and bow and simply worship because when we come to this saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, we have entered into holy ground. One day, uh, Martin Luther, Martin Luther was no friend of Baptist. He did, he did get salvation right in opposing the Catholic Church. But he's studying and he's meditating, and he's concentrating, and he sits at his desk hour after hour, trying to get a handle on some scripture. And after a long period of time, 
he arose and he said, God, forsaken of God, who can understand it? The omnipresent God, the three-in-one God, separated. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As we note the order of this setting, Christ was taken early in the morning before the breaking of day in the middle of the night. He's tried in the middle of the night, which was totally illegal. He's condemned uh, by the high priest through a mock trial where no two witnesses agreed which was totally illegal to condemn a man without two or three witnesses. He's taken and crucified by the Roman government. He first shows attention to the lost world, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He speaks words of comfort to the thief that had a repentant heart. He makes arrangements for his mother to be cared for by John, and I really believe that John removed her from the cross at that very moment. And then we enter into holy ground, and you see there that it says that there was darkness, that there was from the sixth hour Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And so the Roman hours were different from ours. Our day begins at 12 midnight. But, but the Roman day, the first hour of the day would be 6 o'clock a.m. Our time would be our, when time began, it's the zero point, and seven o'clock would have been one. And so from six o'clock uh, to, uh, f- from six a.m., I mean, from the sixth hour, if you add six hours to this, it would be 12 noon. And so from 12 noon, which would be the sixth hour, until the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m., there was darkness. And that point in time from noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon is where, is when the sun is at its zenith. It's at the highest point. And so there's darkness over the whole land. And so what is the significance of that darkness? Well, almost uh, every uh, Old Testament prophet that speaks of darkness, darkness always has to do with judgment. Go over to uh, Amos chapter 8, if we can find Amos. It's going to take me a while. I'm one of those preachers that never memorized the Old Testament books of the Bible. 
Oh no, you probably have to get a new associate pastor now. Romans chapter, uh, Amos chapter 8 and verse 9. It's right before Jonah. That'll give you a bunch of help, won't it? And it's right after Joel. Amos 8 and verse 9 says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And he's talking about judgment, uh, judgment coming, darkness. Also, possibly Matthew, when he wrote this, it was inspired by the Spirit of God to pin these specific words. Uh, maybe, maybe he uh, thought about uh, Exodus. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 10 when God was sending the plagues upon Egypt in Exodus chapter 10. Exodus 10 and verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Hmm. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And isn't that uh, frightening? And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in the, all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And it doesn't, it actually doesn't say that they burned candles in their dwelling. It said that they had light. And, but three days of darkness, and it was a judgment. And of course, uh, one of the gods that Egypt worshipped was the sun god Ra. And uh, God showed that he could take care of that false sun god Ra. And there was three days of darkness, a total uh, darkness. From noon until three. There's no words are spoken from the cross in that darkness. It's more than an eclipse. There's no eclipse that has ever occurred that took three hours. This took three hours. And in fact, some have been able to dig up history from various parts of the world that talk about a time when there was darkness over the land. And when you see here, in this passage where it says, and from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land. When you study out that, it doesn't mean over all this region, but it has the, con the meaning of all the world. That the darkness wasn't just in a specific area like would be with an eclipse. A guy named Julius uh, from North Africa, a Christian teacher writing in 215, 
He recorded the writing. He uh, he recorded the writing of a pagan historian by the name of Thales, who wrote in his wrote his book in A.D. 52. It was uh, only uh, just uh, 20 years after the resurrection of Christ, and he said that there was darkness totally covered the land at the time of the Passover in A.D. 32. A Greek historian by the name of Phlegon, uh, I guess, who wrote an extensive chronology around A.D. 137 in the fourth year of the uh, 202 Olympiad. They, they uh, measured their time not from Christ's death, but the 202 Olympiad, which was around the time of 32 or 33. There was the greatest eclipse of the sun that it became night in the sixth hour of the day, so that the stars even appeared in the heavens. There was a great earthquake in Bithynia, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. And so, uh, what is happening? What is happening here when, when there's darkness over the whole land from noon until three? Well, you could say many things. Of course, I think the judgment as we've read here is part of it. But there's something so personal between God the Father and God the Son that God seemingly pulls the shade on the world. And at the end of that, when the light begins to appear... Uh, Jesus is going to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sins of the world have been placed upon God. Of course, we know that this pictured for us a sacrifice for sin. Jesus did not go to the cross as a martyr for a cause. His death was not the outcome of faulty reasoning of people who failed to understand that he was the king and that he was killed by accident. He wasn't a martyr, and it wasn't an accident. In fact, it was an event planned longer than any event in history. Planned even before the foundations of the world. He was not a representative from heaven to be our example. He didn't come and go to the cross to be an example, but he came as a sacrifice. And Jesus clearly pointed that out. He says in Matthew 20 and verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to minister, be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. As his moment of death approached, he said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? 
but for this cause came I unto this hour. And so the death of the cross was for a cause. This cause I came to this hour. There was a cause. There was a reason. It wasn't an accident. And clearly the Bible teaches that it was for a sacrifice for sin. Look over in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in heaven itself not to appear in the presence of God, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood of others. So then must he have often the suffering since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so he died uh, as a sacrifice. And a couple of uh, months ago, I preached uh, on the Day of Atonement where the two goats and how the different goats represented Christ and one sacrificed and the other sins were confessed over and they're sent into the wilderness and they were taken away. And this is exactly what, uh, what is taking place here. The one who the sin was confessed over, he's taken in the wilderness. He bears the sin of Israel all alone. He's released and he does it alone. And so when Jesus cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's alone. And he's doing the work of the payment for sin alone. And so we, uh, we see that. We also see in this passage that the holiness of God is very evident. Jesus is in despair. He's in agony. He uh, is receiving no comfort from Father. And we have to ask ourselves why? If you'll, if you'll drop back or, or uh, go over, Matthew, go over to the book of Mark in chapter 1 and verse 13. And this is talking about his fasting 40 days in the wilderness and, you know, how Satan come and tempted him in numerous areas. In the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, Jesus was tempted in all those areas. But he says, in, uh, the Bible tells us in Mark 1.13, and, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. That after that 40 days of fasting, God sends angels to minister to him. 
to aid him, to take care of him. Just a, just a few hours before the events that we read this morning, Jesus was in the garden praying. And uh, he asked the disciples to pray with him. And, and they, in fatigue, go to sleep. He goes and prays three different times. Uh, the wording that he gets up and falls down to his knees and gets up and falls down to his knees. And, and uh, we know that the stress is so tremendous upon him that in his capillaries, the blood is mixed with the sweat on his brow. And we have record that that's caused from great stress. And he's, uh, he's not stressed against the Lord's, God the Father's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But he's stressed about the fact that uh, he is going to be associated in some fashion with uh, with all with all the wickedness of my life. A God who is too holy to look upon sin embraces it. I'm ashamed at what he had to bear that was my part. But I'm eternally grateful that he did. And so, he's uh, he in the garden. Angels were sent to minister to him. Go with me to John chapter 16. In John 16 and verse 32, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, and is now come. And ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And so he said, I know that you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me alone. You're not going to stand with me. You're going to flee. But I won't be alone because the Father is going to be with me. 
And he was in the garden. And he was in the trial. And he was when they were nailing him to the cross. But now, as the darkness comes over the world, the Father is not with him. You that are saved, could you imagine waking up tomorrow and experience that the presence of God is gone? And that you've been forsaken. Remember that this relationship, I mean, here's where Martin Luther said, God forsaken of God, who can understand it? But here's where the, re, where the relationship is, uh, is hard. How long had God the Father and God the Son been together? Well, forever. And we could argue... You know, we could argue, you know, it's just the humanity side of the 100% man, 100% God. And uh, that's possibly, there's a part to that. But what, how deep this goes, God forsaken of God. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't, I, 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 uh, Stand by, I stand by Martin Luther. I don't understand it. But I do understand this, that sin costs something. And so there'll be those that say that we as Baptists who teach this, that we make God out to be a terrible ogre, a terribly mean. How could, how, could, how could you say that God would treat his son that way? Well, I want you to go over to uh, Psalms 22. And in Psalms 22, we have the exact answer to why. As I told you before, Psalms 22 is, is a unique psalm in that as we have Matthew and Mark and Luke and John relating to us by inspiration, what they saw and what they were revealed as men who looked upon the cross and the events of the cross and what it all meant. But when we come to Psalms 22, we enter not through the eyes of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John and the Holy Spirit, but in Psalms 22, we are 
brought to Jesus personally. Psalms 22 is God himself speaking. Psalms 22 is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. I think particularly when the sun was out on the cross. And in the night seasons. And I'm not silent. And so the humanity of Christ is here. And he's crying out. And uh, you see that if you go on, you can see, see that what flows in Psalms 22 is flowing directly from God and not from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Because like he said in verse 6, uh, or verse 5, they cried unto these, talking about the fathers. Our fathers trusted in thee, verse 4. They cried unto thee and they were and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm. No man. A reproach of men. And despise of the people. And of course, uh, perhaps you remember this being preached on and that word worm is a very specific type of worm that was used to make scarlet dye. And uh, blood flowed from the cross. Without the shame of blood, there's no remission. But verse 3 answers the question why he was forsaken. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praise of Israel. He said, my God, my God, why? But then he turns around and he says, because you're holy. And Isaiah 53 says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace upon him with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cry from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? does not reveal a mean God, a vengeful, wrathful God of the Old Testament, but reveals to us that God is holy. And he's not going to overlook one single sin, whether it's a white lie a black lie or half a lie. And so sin had to be paid for. 
And what the cross is about is the holiness of God. That he died in our place. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Lord, why did you forsake your son? Because, Mr. Humphrey, there is only one way to rescue and save your life. And that was for my holiness to be satisfied and sin to be paid for. That's why we should never, ever wrestle with the holiness of God. Now, there's something else that this cry gives us. We see, we see in the events that brought about, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We see the terrible price of sin. Total darkness. And so it is in hell. And so it is in hell. Jude says, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Could you imagine being an Egyptian and the sun, the darkness come upon the world and uh, that one guy, that one historical quote said the stars come out I don't think they come out in Egypt it was darkness so great that it could be felt it said but can you imagine sitting there for half a day and thinking when's this going to quit trying to stumble around find some food or whatever one day two days three days and, you know, I know that I'm a very patient person and long-suffering. and I only want things done yesterday. I mean, they should have been done yesterday. <laughs> but to be in darkness, to be in the blackness of darkness forever. And the Bible says, and they shall cast them into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth. I don't think it's popping of the jaw like a grizzly bear when he comes. But you're grinding your teeth. You're in pain. You're in agony. You're in despair. 
you're helpless and hopeless. And I ain't going there. I don't have to go there. Because Jesus was able to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And willingly went to the cross to die in my place. And so we see how, and surely we see uh, his love. For God so loved. That little word so is packed full of meaning. For God so loved. How do you explain the height and the depth and the width of that? That would bring him to a place to be forsaken of God. For God so loved, he suffered physically, though he could have called 12 could have called legions of angels. He was forsaken of God, who he had been with in all of eternity past. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He died for the crimes of the thief of the cross. And uh, he died for me. And the songwriter wrote, Who am I that a king should bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, but thine forth? What I'll never, ever know is why he ever loved me so, and to the old rugged cross he would go, for who am I? And so I understand that this fourth saying from the cross embraces you. It was for you. And the sin has to be paid for. What, what, uh, what, uh, how could we say this? What, what uh, uh, affront, what, uh, what a horror it is for someone to think, I, I'm good enough to make it on my own. You're stepping on the, <laughs> you count the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. And you're in despite into the spirit of grace. And you are uh, 
doing a terrible thing to the Son of God. All right. I don't know what time it is. I left my I left my uh, phone at the house. I don't have I don't have my uh, keeper with me today to take care of me and remind me. Did you do this? Did you do that? When she's here saying that, it irritates me. When she's when she's not here telling me that, I realize how lost I am. <laughs>